Hey kids, and welcome back to Conspire a Theory podcast. I have with me returning Eduardo Solis, and he's got an upcoming release that he's going to announce and talk to us about. Hey Ed, how's it going? Going good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. The uh, The book in question is a... Now, this is interesting because it's actually been an ebook for a number of years, and I'm just now getting into print for the first time. It's kind of like working backwards because usually, you know, you have your established authors that have been printing, you know, making actual print books for years, and they're going into the e- ebook business. I started out in the ebooks, doing the ebook stuff, and now I'm trying to move into print which is a whole nother world because I have to deal with all kinds of print things. And these are things that you're, I'm pretty sure you're going to be familiar with, Chris, because, you know, you're an artist and you deal with, you know, paper and getting things printed and margins and borders and bleeds and all that other arty crap that I don't know about. Well, yeah, all, all the print stuff, yeah. But as far as, you know, uh, publication goes, as far as putting it out there, on, let's see, you're, you're having a sort of a wide release, I guess I could say. Something like that. Well, not really. Okay, so let, let me uh, let me give you the name. It's uh, the book is called Fuzzy Words: The Confluff Collection. Confluff being a series of um, short story collections that I wrote from uh, 2012 to 2015 or 14, which were basically a bunch of short stories that I submitted to furry conventions for their con books. Hence the name Confluff. And so you know, con furry conventions, you know, need material to fill their con book. And so it's like, hey, it's a good way to get exposure. You know, it won't cost me anything. And, you know, maybe I'll get a, a paper copy. And, and you know, I like paper things because I'm old-fashioned. Well, yeah, I mean, you were there when the, the first uh, story ever got, I guess you could say, published, which was the uh, Furry Fiesta 2012 one. Yeah, that's right. I can. I was also our first a contributing artist as well. And I, I, I'm surprised they took so much of my work in, you know, because I like art, other people throwing stuff in. But this was pretty early on, and as time went on, you know, more people contributed and more people put stuff in, and it was it was really good and fun. Yeah, because your your piece, one of your pieces, made the calendar, if I remember yeah. correctly. You were December, yeah. I think. So, out of all the publications, this is like your sixth or seventh e publication, but your first, I guess, real world publication. See, as in under your own banner. Well, it's funny. It's my well, it's my first paper publication my first yeah. physical book and i think it's hilarious i find it hilarious that you made that distinction because i've been doing this for a while i've been <laughs> doing the ebook thing for a few years yeah my friends and family and stuff you know they know about it but it's like i'm a real writer now because i have an actual paper book because you know <laughs> i have the proofs and you know i show them the friends hey look at this thing you know look at my thing and they're like, oh my god! Like, like I said, it's, it's like I'm a real writer now. I don't, it's, uh, there's no other way I can I can put it, but it's just funny that people. Well, I make mean, that like like quote unquote real, as in like physical publication, rather than just the typical uh, bits and bytes. Yeah, bits and bytes, not not ones and zeros anymore. You graduated from ones and zeros to killing trees. Yeah, pretty much, and it's a process. I mean, it, it's completely new to me, you know, because. Yeah, I know how to type things up in Microsoft Word. I think I know Microsoft Word pretty well. But once again, this is this is print. This is paper. These there are other considerations that you have to take into account. For example, borders and margins and you know the pages that are gonna be there's a lot of different settings and things that I had to deal with that I wasn't sure about. The nice thing is that once you do get all that stuff figured out, 
you upload your file, you know, your Word doc, to Amazon or to Barnes & Noble. Those are the two outlets that I'm trying for this. Amazon's is called Kindle Direct Publishing. Barnes & Noble's is called Nook Press. So if you're interested, check those two things out. But yeah, essentially, you know, you write your book, you upload your file. They actually, my understanding, and I may be wrong on this, I don't know, but they actually have somebody like look over it and kind of say, okay, you know, this is going to work. You know, we can print this, I think is what they determine. Yeah, I guess they just need to do like a bit of quality control, mm -hmm. I guess, to make sure that you're not putting anything like illegal or... See, I'm not even sure if it's that. Well, I... I mean, I, you, you may be right. Yeah, You yeah. may be right, but... Yeah, nothing that's going to get them in trouble. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there have been a few, you know, it's one of those, you know, the good thing about the internet is that anybody can publish anything. The bad thing about the internet is that anybody can publish anything. There was an unfortunate book a few years ago that got published by Amazon. I mean, there's no nice way to say this, so I'm just going to say it. You know, it was essentially a guidebook to um, molesting kids that got bumped <laughs> on the Amazon. Oh, that must have been terrible. It was. And, you know, it kind of made them stop and think, oh, no, maybe we should actually have people doing some curating some of the stuff instead of just computers yeah like they'll, they'll just go over the nuts and bolts make sure that it's like you know nothing i guess infl inflammatory or, or insidious but as far as you know making sure all the t's are crossed and all the dots are eyed that's not what they're doing Right, you're on as far yeah. as grammar and copy editing, you're kind of on your own because Amazon was a little bit better about this because their thing is okay, we got your files. You know, there's the Word file that has the actual text of your book, and then you have the cover image. Mm -hmm. You know, you send them that information. You know, they they process that if they have it, they can make minor modifications to the uh, the cover image if they need to, kind of wiggle things around to make sure it's centered and all that good stuff. And uh, they'll say, okay, this is ready. Go ahead and order your proof copy. Yeah, you know, which is pretty much your your beta version of your book. So you you know you send them you know seven eight bucks whatever it is, you know, and, and they send you the paper copy, and that's the the first one that I, I showed everybody. It's like okay, cool, you know. Now let me go ahead and go over it front to back to make sure that as you mentioned, all the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted, and the grammar is right and the page numbers are right and blah 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 blah. Mm hmm. Well, needless to say, they weren't all right. <laughs> and, you know, which goes into one of the fun things about writing your own stuff is one thing. Editing it is another thing entirely. So you're just talking like it wasn't all right as far as uh, grammar is concerned? Not so much grammar, but more or less punctuation and spelling and capitalization. The, the silly little things that just kind of, you know, that yeah, slip and, and that, that, that old stuff is on you, right? Exactly. Okay. So. Yeah, yeah, they don't care. They just want... Yeah, you know, just yeah. make just, just make so sure long as it as as you're not breaking the law, right? You know, writing a book on how to make <laughs> bombs or something like that. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so you get your paper copy and you go over it, and changes need to be made. And I had to make changes. You know, you send it back and and kind of repeat the process. Now my thing was I wanted to try Amazon and I wanted to try Barnes and Noble. So after I got my copy back from Amazon, I made the corrections to my you know my Word doc. Said okay, let's shoot this off to. Barnes and Noble, get a proof back from them, and kind of repeat the process, and also to let me compare, you know, how pretty or how you know not pretty the actual book will be. Okay. You know, I got the second copy or second draft, you could say, you know, from Barnes and Noble. I wasn't as happy with theirs. I have I need to put them side by side, but to me, the Barnes and Noble one looked a little, a little uh, splotchy, a little. You know, the text wasn't quite as sharp in a few pages. As the the uh, the Amazon one, 
Yeah. Their the resolution font it, resolution or something just wasn't up to par. Well, what I've heard is something it has to do with the way they print hmm. because the uh, and you have to, you have to remember these are essentially print on demand. Okay. Yeah. So you know, there's not you don't have a thousand copies of your book sitting in a warehouse somewhere. No, they don't make any until somebody orders one. Yeah. Remember the uh, My Cage uh, compilation yeah, volume yeah, one? Yeah. Okay, those were print on demand. Yeah. Yeah, My Cage was a, a comic that me and Ed used to read back in the day. Uh, newspaper. I think that's how me and him met. That was, is how we met, yes. Was Long we story. both entered a competition. And you won the writing part and I won the art part. And so basically it's like, hey, we're the best of the best of the best. Let's hang out and be friends. Yeah, pretty much, and we met at, and then we actually first met at, at MizumiCon, <laughs> and and the rest is history. Pretty yeah. much, I mean, it's, it's yeah, and I actually have a like clipped out copy of the actual comic as it appeared in the San Antonio Express News in my home, <laughs> hanging on the and, mantle. And that was back in like the MySpace days to show you how yeah, many that's years the con- that's ago. That's what the contest was. <laughs> it was on MySpace, yeah. and, and so yeah, that was way yeah. It's almost embarrassing now to talk about it, you darn kids. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I mean that was cool. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, and and now that now when you do your own book, you need your you have your own what's it ISBN? What is it called? That code that I, they put in the back. Explain that to us. Walk us through that. Okay, the uh, and I'm gonna bear with me just a moment, folks. I'm gonna get my uh, my mother box here and look that up. I don't remember exactly what the term stands for. And I know what it is. I know what it does. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, see, International Standard Book Number, ISBN. It's a number that essentially identifies books in print. Um, or also, uh, I think it, you can also apply to ebooks and other types of publications. But essentially, when you have a book, you know, you look on the back, there's a barcode. There's going to be a long-ass number. It's usually 13, yeah, 10 or 13 digits long on the back of the book. And that's the ISBN. Mm-hmm. And essentially, it identifies the book. And there's a um, agency that kind of keeps track of them. And another one that um, I know in the U.S., it's named Boker, B-O-W-K-E-R, that actually sells the ISBNs. It's interesting because you don't really need one. The reason I even have any ISBNs was when uh, Apple, when I first started e-publishing on iTunes with Apple, they required you to have an ISBN. Mm. And they're a little on the pricey side, unless you're a real, you know, unless you're a large publisher and you're buying, you know, just tons of these at a time. They're a little on the pricey side. If I remember correctly, I paid, uh, I think it was, um, it was a few hundred dollars for like 10. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. But my thing was, okay, you know, I'm ser- I'm going to be serious about this. I'm going to be doing it for a while. So I'm going to, I'll need 10 eventually. So, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll... Oh, okay, fine. I'll use them all. Okay. Funny thing is I haven't used them all yet. Because, like, a year after I started doing this stuff, Apple stopped requiring ISBNs. I said, well, y'all don't need those after all. We're going to use our own special Apple number because Apple's about always doing their own special things. So you don't really need them. And I'm like, crap, thanks, guys. So basically, you know, like, they have their own format for everything. Pretty much. But going back to the ISBN thing. So you have, at these days, you have a choice. You can either get an ISBN from your publisher, which in this case would be Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you can give them your own. And this is where it gets a little weird because, you know, Amazon, because they're Amazon, they're going to be weenies about these kind of things. Because my, my initial inclination was, oh, well, I got a stack of ISBNs right here. I'll just use one of those. And, uh, well, come to find out that, well, if you use your own ISBN and not ours, then we're going to limit your distribution. Hmm. You know, there's certain, because pre- their thing is, you know, we can take your book and we could, dist- we can even, even distribute it to libraries. 
which is kind of cool. Unless you use your own ISBN. So I'll probably have to backtrack and just use theirs instead of mine. But that was just a weird idiosyncrasy of the, the publishing process. But yeah, when you're doing stuff in the in digital ebooks, you don't necessarily need one. But when you're doing it in print, yeah, you're, you're going to want to have one. Because it makes your book findable. You know, two libraries and educational institutions and all these other places that may be, you know, interested in your book. Yeah, yeah. And and if you're going to probably go through like Amazon, if you're like a, an online presence and stuff like that, there's nothing wrong with, you know, just going through Amazon exclusively. No, not really. I mean, yeah. it's kind of a personal thing. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's, it's a personal thing. Using Amazon's does give you some advantages. Mm-hmm. The other thing, too, is if you're going to use your own ISBN, and this where it gets a little weird, you can technically have your own Big Finger Quotes imprint, <laughs> which... I would have to figure out some kind of name for my imprint if I were to do that, mm. which I, I don't know what I would call it. The bear paw print or something like that. I don't know. I was thinking about bear books or something. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. You know na- names drive me nuts. So yeah, and I'm still thinking that over. But yeah, I remember when you first got into furry writing from just regular science fiction short stories, re- realizing that oh, now I'm writing in the furry world. I have to come up with not just characters and names, but also species for everybody. And that totally threw you for a loop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you just don't want to make everybody dogs and cats. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, just... That's just boring. I mean, just I, I don't as, know. As a, as a writer, you know, what? Well, it, how frustrating was that at first? Uh, it was, it, it drove me bonkers. Because, I mean, you know, when you're when you're writing about people, yeah. you know, humans can leave it ambiguous or, or, you know, you know, the tall, dark, handsome man or, you know, the blonde haired, whatever, whatever, you know, white, you know, brown, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, but when you, but when, it, when you go to furry, I mean, people are going to associate, you know, certain things, certain characteristics with certain species. You can let that kind of influence your thinking or, yeah, I mean, I, and the other thing too is I was probably just making it way harder than it had to be. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes the, sometimes the character dictated the, the animal, hmm. Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember, uh, your character. Yeah. Yeah. My character was in one of your short stories was a skunk. <laughs> Two actually. Two of them. Uh, yeah, he, he was a skunk. He was a crook. Um, and then what was the other one? The other one? Yeah, I think you said there were two stories. Yeah, well, it's the same. It's essentially the same character with the same name. It's just that in the one one was the you know the nineteen twenty the the tie the telltale tie. Yeah, yeah. And so, which was based on true events. Yep. Do you and still have the tie? I I don't know what happened. To I, it. I know you didn't give it back. No, which is what spawned it, the whole thing. Okay, and then the second story. Uh, the second story, like I said, it was the same. The, the name exact. was the same. It was still the Watcher, and he had time-based superpowers. Okay, so in that one, it was, that was the the superhero-based one, right? Yeah, yeah, it was the superheroes. Okay, okay. Where, where, just, just to he, go, he goes to rob yeah. a bank, some superheroes try to stop him, and they have this weird conversation about you know they're essentially like anti-heroes, and so the crook is like. It's like, wait a minute, you're psychotic. You're, you know, you're going to steal the money that I'm trying to steal because he's doing the Robin Hood, the other, the hero's doing the Robin Hood thing. And I'm the bad guy? What the hell? You know, so it, it was, it was intended to be, I guess, kind of a commentary on the whole 1990s, you know, anti-hero sort of yeah. movement. Yeah. And, you and, know. and that's, people can get that in, in fuzzy words, right? Yes. Okay. That's good. And the telltale tie to give some people, uh, 
some some backlog on that. <laughs> the story behind that was I, was I think it was 2013. I think it was our second yeah, TFF. Yeah. Our second TFF. I find this tie lying on the floor, this white tie. So I pick it up and you know I, and I I just put it in my bag, you know, because it's a discarded tie. It's it's trash. Or at least that's what you I thought tell it myself. was trash. I, I thought it was trash. I figured, you know, huh? Whatever. It's it's somebody just lost their tie, and I just found one. So finders keepers. Yeah, neener neener. Yeah, and and then okay. So time goes on. Time goes on. The con's over, and so we decide to record our you know post game podcast uh, on my podcast, Con Talk, which is on YouTube. Uh, we get together with Damon, our mutual friend. Yeah. We record, and then we go to we go to Fuddruckers after the fact, mm-hmm. and we you know we're just there eating our burgers and jawing as you know we are off to do. And I think it was you, I forget who it was, I don't know if it was you or me, but one of us on Twitter saw a post about, hey, I lost my tie <laughs> at Furry Fiesta last week, has anybody seen it? I think, I think you, you know, you told yeah. us. Yeah, I, I found it, and, and this guy had... And you're asking us, what do I do? And, and it was a white tie, and the thing is, what I found was a white tie, and I got, I felt extremely guilt-ridden. Because I told you guys about it, but I was like, I was still on Yeah, the you're fence. like, what do I do? Yeah, morally, morally, I was on the fence. And what I did was I figured, you know, like, hey, hey eventually the guilt got to me and I broke down and I wrote to him. And I said, yeah, I, I found the tie. And, and, at, and at, the, at the meal, you know, as we're, ha- as we're talking yeah. about this, I made the comment that it's the telltale tie, like the telltale heart. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it, it's bothering your conscience. It's making you feel guilty and bad about yourself. And that's why, you know, you know, that, that that's why you're having these, what, what little conscience you have is, you know, just gnawing away at you. <laughs> and of course, in our exchange, he kind of gets a bit irate with me. And I'm like, why didn't you take it to Finders Keepers? And I'm like, keep better track of your stuff, pal. Is it your tie or not? <laughs> you know, and I show him pictures of the tie. And he says, no, that's not my tie. So pretty much I get upset over what ends up being nothing or maybe. Well, it would have been nothing a lot quicker if you'd done the right thing in the first place. So, <laughs> But then you wouldn't have the tie. So I, yeah. I don't know. There's a lesson to be well, learned, but I'm not sure what it is. I, I don't know. <laughs> but but that whole episode, that whole conversation sparked the original story about a crook in 1930s, um, Reno, that finds a lost tie and ends up being guilt ridden about it and becomes undone because of his guilt yeah it was a funny scenario but for it to inspire an even funnier story and some artwork there's a you have a there's a picture somewhere of yeah, your of your, the your character. character your persona before you had a persona i guess yeah which is another story i guess yeah. you could call that my starter species yeah and that was a good fun thing that was a good fun story that's hilarious <laughs> so with uh let's get back to the book is there anything else on the book that you could tell us about the process the ins and outs like what what is there anything noticeably different that you can also think about on working with self-publishing as far as like how does this compare to what you usually do the lecture about when it comes to e-publishing it's different the, the whole print thing actually is really the difference the difference is in prepping your files because when you're doing and I have to underline this by saying that when I publish ebooks I actually create the epub file myself because hmm. I'm a programmer guy I know how to fiddle with computers I know how to fiddle with XML files and all the other icky stuff that most people don't want to deal with because I want it to look exactly the way I want it to look and so I go through the trouble of you know making my own epub file 
you can, if you want to, you can actually upload a, a Word doc to Amazon, to Barnes & Noble, and have them generate an ebook file from that. Your mileage may vary. I don't want to take that chance because, like I said, I want it to look, I want it to be right. Yeah. You know, the way that I want it. So I'll actually go through the trouble of doing, rolling my own, if you will, as far as ePub files go. In the print world, you know, you need to know Word pretty well. For the cover image, and this threw me off for a bit, uh, I had to create a PDF of the actual cover image that was going to be on the outside of the book. And so that was like, wait, how do I do this? You know, I don't, I don't, I'm not an art person. I don't have a copy of Photoshop or Acrobat or. For, for those that don't know, what does that stand for? Yeah, it's something. Port, I think it's portable document format or something yeah. like that. But in the print world, when the, when the computer world meets the print world, it's all about PDFs. Yeah. They love PDFs. It's like, ew, work, you know, Word documents are okay for printing out your homework or whatever. But if you're going to, you know, be serious or whatever, they want PDFs. Luckily, the graphic software that I use, Inkscape, to create the book, the, uh, the ebook cover, and I don't even create it. I just copy paste, I just copy paste all the artwork and then just splat some text on it with a drop shadow because I don't know crap about graphics. Hmm. And, you know, luckily for me, there was a save the PDF option. So that made me happy. Okay. Uh, so that's the, how I got it out. The cover itself is a PDF. Yeah. And then the content. Is a Word doc. Is a Word doc. Well, I think there's a. I think you could also upload it as a PDF if you're that knowledgeable. Yeah. You know, because I'm pretty sure that there are some PDFs where it's like the entire book is one PDF. Is well, that does that happen? Uh, not that I know of. Not not going through that process. Not going through uh, now in Amazon. I use what's called Create Space. That's their print on demand service. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Barnes and Nobles is Nook Press. And they both wanted, like I said, they wanted a PDF image or document thing. I don't know the, for the for the cover, and then a Word doc. You know, was perfectly fine for the interior for the the words. You know, on the inside. Now there may be other options. Those are the ones that work best for me. Yeah, because I know in most online comics, when they take print comics and I guess they transfer them to online, usually they'll have their own format. But sometimes, I guess, maybe if this is for pirated content or whatever, usually everything comes in a PDF. Yeah, most print stuff put online is usually going to be in PDFs. Uh, you may be talking, you may be referring to what's uh, called a CBR file, and those are like comic book files mm-hmm. um, that you, you know, just like an ebook reader, you have a comic book file reader that you know lets you read your comic books. Yeah, I'll have to. Look into that and do something with that because I know that Comixology, which I think is now a subsidiary of Amazon, correct, has a submission uh, option where you can submit to you basically format your own comic book and then you submit it to them and then you know within a few months or so they'll they'll e-publish it on on either their network or they'll give it to you to sell print on demand like they do with their books, except this is through a comic book and it's through Comixology. Yeah, I do know that as far as the Comixology, mm-hmm. you know, app online store thing goes, they actually like curate their com- content. They're not just going to let anybody, you know, publish whatever. You know, your stuff has to be, you know, big finger quotes, professional level, whatever that is, or, you know, presentable. Well, at, at least, so. well, they, I can imagine it would probably... Like, again, like we were saying, they're not going to make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted, but they're going to make sure that adult content is strictly labeled adult and mature is labeled mature and the R-rated stuff. And you're not putting, you know, a horror content into cutesy stuff or or you're not 
Some, something like that. But, but they do have, like I said, my understanding, and I may be wrong on this, but my understanding is they curate. They actually will look through the stuff and make sure that it's, you know, decent quality. You know, like you're not going to publish your kids, you know, refrigerator drawings or whatever, whatever. But they want, you know, at least they want quality content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be vetted. So they may say no. So, yeah. you know, just a heads up on that. Yeah, you'll be all right. Yeah, I, I think I'll be fine. Uh, I've already edited your stuff. So. <laughs> yeah. The, so we, uh, we know the words are spelled properly, at yeah. least. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much the process. It's, it's a yeah. lot of just prep work at the start, making sure the file is formatted correctly and all the editing, you know, the copy editing, which you got to do anyway. Mm-hmm. And something I realized, I don't know if you saw me post this earlier today, I've been doing all this work and all this editing and all these modifications in my Word doc, and I just realized today that, oh crap, I have not done anything to my EPUB file, (laughs) because I'm going to publish, I'm going to, the EPUB is going to go, you know, everywhere. iBooks, Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Kobo, I think is the other one, the number one e-reader in Canada, ooh. And uh, and that's fine, but as far as a print copy goes, that's probably going to be right now. It's looking like it's going to be, uh, and I, I feel a little horrible doing this, but at the same time, oh well, uh, it'll probably be exclusive on Amazon. Hmm. Well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Amazon has a huge market, yeah, and that's the thing. They're kind of the 500 pound gorilla, yeah, you know, of everything. So pretty much, you know, every single with all the podcasts that I listen to, a lot of them have writers on, and all of the uh, paranormal writers they self publish. Majority of them do because, of course, and a lot of them do go through other publishers. Right. And it's like all of their stuff is, you know, go to our online Amazon store. I just hear that over and over again. Everybody's stuff is on freaking Amazon. really don't see anything wrong with it. I'm an Amazon Prime user myself. I, I love going to Amazon instead of shopping. That's probably what killed Toys R Us. But, mm. you know, it's just one of those, well, we just got to accept that's just the way things are. Yeah, and in their defense, I mean, they, they do make it relatively easy, mm. you know, to publish stuff. I mean, I mean, you literally use the same account that you used to buy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you log into the special website. I think it's createspace.com. Then when you start off, you got to accept some legal agreements and, yeah. you know, and give them some of course. account information so that they can send you that sweet, sweet royalty money. But otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's your exact same login for, you know, buying stuff. So I guess when those people right there, I married a Bigfoot, we kind of know, you know, all the steps that they had to go through to get that out there. Pretty much. <laughs> And it's it's funny that you mentioned that because, you know, and I don't know if you've experienced this. I certainly have. You pick up the most interesting followers on Twitter. (laughs) I mean, just randomly. And uh, I think I made a comment to uh, our mutual friend T-Shirt Joe uh, a while back. Yeah, Fast Custom T. Yeah, Fast Custom Shirts. and Fast Custom Shirts, yes, that's right. Fast Custom Shirts. Well, because I was followed by a publishing house called Hot Rocks erotica or horror erotica or something like that is it and, uh, like like horror with the w-h-o-r-e it's, it's h-a-w-t-r-o-x i want to say i don't know if it, like i said i don't know if it was erotica or horror erotica you know they're trying to be clever but the description i go you know i click i click on the you know their their icon so i can see their page on twitter mm-hmm. and it says that uh you know the the Best publishers of otherworldly smut. <laughs> and so, are I, you sure that's not just from the furry universe? I'm gonna say no, based on the interesting posts that I've seen uh, <laughs> to be charitable. But no, it's uh, it just cracked me up, and so I kind of had the ping T-shirt, Joe. I'm like, hey, are these? I, I ran to these guys on Twitter. Are they friends of yours? You know them? And he and he said no, but he digs otherworldly smut. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, fair enough. Yeah, he's following them, I, I suppose. 
Oh, I don't know, but I don't know. But but it, but it was a it was a funny conversation. I I had to include him in on that. Yeah, you know, it, so, it sounds like something that would be up his alley. I need to have him and Tom come back on the show sometime. I I I just talked to Tom, but I need to have him and Tom next time. There you go. Because do do you listen to their horrible crap podcast show? Uh, I tried once, and eh, it's just not my thing. Okay, yeah, it's just not your flavor. I love the show. I love the banter between them. It is just it tickles me pink, and their reviews are actually pretty good. I don't watch a lot of horror, but mm-hmm. every now and then, uh, when I had Tom on, me and him reviewed Paddington too. Oh lord! <laughs> I can only imagine what he thought of it. No, it, he loved it. Oh, okay. Me and him were we, me and him were in agreement with how great the movie was. We it was just me and him gushing over how awesome the movie is. I might have we to were, listen, I might have to go back and listen to that one because well, well we do st- we still pepper our our comments with rape jokes and and fart jokes okay never mind then <laughs> no but yeah go go ahead and listen to it it's interesting we just go on and on about how awesome P- Paddington Two is well I mean the, the uh, Doug the first one that was a ple- yeah. t- for me at least that was a pleasant surprise because I never. I was never really, I never read any of the books or anything as a kid. Yeah. I knew, I mean, I knew about the character, yeah, but that I, was I, it. He's I, a bear. He has a jacket. I didn't even know about the marmalade thing. I, I used to watch the cartoon as a kid. Oh, okay. And that's how I was familiar with him. But the movie itself. Well, see, you but know, you're in a major city. You grew up in San Antonio, right? Or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I grew up in Corpus Christi, which from a cultural standpoint is a black hole. <laughs> and so we didn't have any cool cartoons. Uh, you know. Yeah, I loved it so much. As soon as Paddington 2 hit digital, I bought it immediately. I'm like, I'm not going to wait until the DVD comes out. I'm buying it. and you want maybe, it now. Yeah, I want it now. And maybe later I'll probably buy a physical copy because it's very rare that you find a movie so good that you'll buy however many copies you can get. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I know if, those feels. Even if there's like a special edition, I'll snag that up if there is one out there. Nice. I think it was the one movie that I seen that was so good that I probably bought, you know, two physical copies or whatever, because I think I lost one, mm. was John Carter, the Space Mars adventure film. Right, right. Disney one that nobody watched. Yeah. yeah, nobody watched it, but I loved it so much. It's like, oh, I got to have this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah, I had fun with that. Uh, I hope we didn't get too off track. Any, any more comments on the books and stuff? No, I mean, I would just say, you know, if you're interested in writing, you know, if you want to write, you know, the great American novel or, you know, poetry or short stories or what have you, do it. Because you never know. You know, you never know what's going to be popular. You never know what people are going to like. Even if you don't become the next Stephen King or whatever. You know, it's it's very, uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for? Uh, rewarding? Yeah, it's, it's very self-satisfying. Okay. You know, to, to do it, to have your stuff out on Amazon next to Stephen King and all those other guys. You know, that's kind of one of the beauties about this is that anybody can do it. It's just a matter of effort. And I often complain that writing the book is the easy part. You know, writing the stories is the easy part. It's all this other stuff after the fact that's been a royal pain in the butt for me. <laughs> like having to edit, having to deal with artists your people chris <laughs> my people yes you know having to you know isbns and all this other you know baloney is just uh ink monkeys yeah yeah pretty much you know yeah. so but but no i mean like, once again if, if you if you have an interest in writing if you know mm-hmm. whatever it is you know i i say go you know do it you know throw it out there you never know what you were saying about tw- the twitter following i gotta admit my twitter is freaking dead i don't know what it is it is just 
You need crickets. to post, post art, man. Well, I, People I, like pretty pictures. I post regularly. I post regular stuff on there. And where no, no, I, you're, you're not listening to me. Art. <laughs> I do post art. I do post pictures. All my activity that I see like explosions is Instagram, which is kind of weird. Pictures. Yeah. 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 It's, it's pictures and stuff. Yeah, like people that. are visual. I mean, people yeah. like pretty pictures. I mean, yeah. And, and I get some of the weirdest followers too. Like I'll get other podcasts that follow me and some of them I follow back and some of them I actually check out. One of the ones that I checked out was this, uh, British podcast. It's, it's another vulgar one. Like, uh, mm-hmm. vulgar well, that's kind of your thing vulgar so. humor and it was uh called oh by the by the way if you're a regular listener we apologize for the lack of um saltiness <laughs> it, it's this podcast i, called, I tend to be g-rated so oh well yeah it, it, it's this podcast called frank and oz mm-hmm. and it's these two um i guess just these two guys in in the that live in the city and they're just, you know, they're, they're avid fans of, uh, Legion of Skanks and Cumtown and all the stuff that, that I listen to. And they, they do, uh, stand up comedy. They're like hmm. beginning in the stand up circuit in the British Isles and they are freaking hilarious. It's that gutter humor that I love so much. There you go. Yeah. I know. I'll probably reach out to them, see if I can get them on the show. <laughs> That'd be a blast. Bloody hell. Well, I, I got enough trouble, you know, cause sometimes. Since I started this podcast, I've had to wrestle with time zones, hmm. which was sort of a new thing because usually all the people that I want to talk to, they're usually in Texas. Right. And now I'm talking to people and word's getting out and I'm reaching out to people that live in like the East Coast and I'm talking to people that, that live in the, the West Coast and I'm you know going into Pacific time and Eastern Standard Time and all these other times and I've had to like wrestle three time zones before. Uh, one of my other regular uh, co-hosts that comes in who helps me out every now and then is Rob. Rob lives on the East Coast, and I have to wrestle with his time zone. That's just one hour, dude. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just one hour. Oh wait, I forget. You're you're an, you're a visual person. You're an, you're an artist, so you know numbers aren't exactly your best friend. No, definitely not. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like I can do the adding stuff, but uh, math and division and stuff like that. No, y'all, y'all just bad with time. You and Wolf Boy. Yeah, I have to, I have to give y'all like a fifteen minute curve. I've been getting better about getting on time every now and then. Mm. But it's yeah the the whole what we call artist time because it's we're we're kind of like you know the stereotypical woman where we need to make sure everything's perfect before we head out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not touching that one. <laughs> Okay, but no, I mean it's it's been a it's been a definitely been a learning experience doing this. I hope to have the final, final, final big finger quotes, you know, version done. I'm gonna get one more proof copy from Amazon. I'm at the point. I mean, I I, I feel bad saying this, but I'm sick of looking at it. I'm sick of reading, reading over that damn book, you know, over <laughs> and over and over again, trying to find you know missing periods and commas and misspellings and all that i'm at the point where it's like you know i'm just gonna throw it out there and you know if you find a missing period or a grammatical error i'll buy you a coke i don't know (laughs) yeah good on you you know yeah yeah you you, you know you got me this is also one of those things like in the creative process it's as big a deal as you make it because i've the one of the books that i did a book review on you know because i actually read a book i I'm shocked myself that it was called Women in Black, and it was Nick Redford, and he's big, renowned. He has over 200-plus publications under his name. Nice. And, you know, he's just written book after book after book, and, of course, his writing style is very uh, ADD type of – it's all over the place. And, and in Women in Black, I actually found a grammatical error, a misspelling. and, and Oh, well. Yeah, and the thing is, this is a professional guy. This is big league. 
type of guy. Ah. And even he, you know, gets stuff wrong. And this was through a publisher. So yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah. When you have a publisher, they're supposed to do all that stuff for you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you, know, yet- you, you, you write the manuscript, they send them because it's interesting because I have to deal with cover art stuff, you know, because we're doing them on my own. In the you know the real the professional world, you don't have I don't I don't think you get any input on the cover art. Yeah, they kind of just tell the artist that okay, this is a book about something something. Make with the pictures. When I bought Ken Gerhard's book, who is a researcher that lives here in San Antonio, I asked him about the cover of his book, his latest book, uh, Menagerie of Monsters, and he said, "Oh, I don't know anything about that." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that so was the complete, publisher handles yeah, all that fun stuff. That was so completely out of his hands, and mm-hmm. and it's just one of those things. And when you're doing it yourself, yeah, you got to do everything yourself. But one, well, the nice thing is you you have input. Like, yeah, usually, let's see, I'm, I'm trying to think over my covers now. The, uh, usually there'll be like a character or sometimes even like a scene mm-hmm. from the, from one of the stories in the book and but I can I can dictate that unfortunately this also tends to lengthen the process because you know then your artist is like well what do you mean do you want it like this or do you want it like that or do you want four fingers or five fingers or uh, it just yeah they they unwittingly make it more complicated trying to make sure that it's just right well on one I got frustrated with the weight. No, that, I, I, that's just a furry thing. Yeah, it probably is because it was for a furry book. And yeah. I literally just like found a picture of a fursuiter that was kind of in the pose that I wanted. I said, this is what I want. You know, something like this. There's supposed to be a fairy, so put wings on it. Thank you. <laughs> Please do this for me because I'm waiting on you and I'm losing my mind. You know, yeah. Furry artists are notorious for missing deadlines and extending deadlines. And it's it's... No one, no one likes being left waiting. Yeah. Well, and and the worst thing for me, and once again, and I feel bad about this, but it's like I'm gonna have to, I'm going, I, I'm gonna have to point where I may just have to stop using friends because I think that's why, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, it's just it's it's Eduardo. He'll understand. I know him. He's not the type to get mad or whatever, whatever, whatever. But that's where you get that. Um, that's where you have that that meme picture with you know the guy's got kind of the blank look on his neutral look in his face, and it says screaming internally. <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm okay screaming internally. I try to be very adamant on my timetable, but only when money is involved. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and that's the worst part. It's like, because usually, and I'm not, I'm not sure how you operate, but, you know, the, the payment is after the fact. Hmm. You know, so, which makes it even more frustrating for me because I'm like, it's like, I have money. I want to give you money for art things. Yeah. Shouldn't that motivate you to do the art things faster so you can get this money? Yeah, I'll it, usually it, it do. It just drives uh, me nuts. I'll usually do with de- with a deal where I'll do it. I'll take half up front, mm. and and then I'll I'll do like a, a pre sketch just to give them an idea of what they're they're gonna get, right. so that that way they can make notes. You know, this that sketch, te- you know, change. Yeah, this, and you get feedback this. and blah blah. And then I'll do the finished artwork, and then I and then one and then I wait for them. I I'll let 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 them know. Okay, it's completed. You know, uh, send me the rest of the money, and I'll send you. Like I may send them a low resolution proof, something that they can't professionally use, but to get an idea of what it to looks. get an What's idea proof? of I mean, what the final is going to look like. Right, and then they, when they send me the rest of the payment, then I release them the high resolution file. That's pretty smart, and I I think that's what some people. I think that's what more people should do, but decide your your own. Um, as far as I think, uh, one of our friends, uh, Stephanie, familiar Nori, yeah, because she's dealing with such high end 
stuff. She's making fursuits and stuff like that. With her, I can imagine the payments on her because she's producing stuff that costs in the thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. So people are like making car payments to her, you know, over time for something that they may not get for, you know, maybe within months. Yeah. And in some cases, I'd say not a year. I wouldn't say she'd take like a year or so, but the they might be paying for it within like a within a year before they get the final everything. Yeah, I mean that's definitely a process, but you know that that's neither here nor there. Yeah, that that's something. We're, that... we're, we're not those people. <laughs> well, I'm not. Oh, well, you got to be that way. <laughs> uh, not yet, anyway. You have your own podcast, Contact. You stopped for a while and then you came back. What was that all about? You I... said you said okay, I'm retiring Contact forever. And you did Peter Parker walking down the alleyway with the, the Spider-Man, you know, which was supposed to be Contact in the trash. I'm hanging up my cape forever. You know, the Clark Kent walking into the to the city city street and stuff like that. Yeah, I see. You have to give me the DC analogy because the Marvel analogy, I've never seen that <laughs> image. Yeah, basically know. Batman hanging up his cow. You, you right. hung up your cow and right. then you came back. What was that? This is probably one of the more random things that's happened to me at, at Furry Fiesta. <laughs> I ran into a fan, or, or a fan found me, and I didn't know I had fans. Well, let me back up on that. I, I do have a few, you know, there's some local folks that, you know, let me, that like my stuff and let me know that, you know, hey, you know, good work, you know, keep it up, you know, blah, 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 and one or two that hate my guts, but that's okay. But yeah, so I'm, this is Saturday, I believe it was Saturday night at uh, Freight Fiesta this past year, this past couple months ago. I'm sitting in the uh, atrium, there's like a, there's a coffee shop. And, you know, some tables and chairs to sit and drink your coffee and, you know, have your breakfast, whatever, whatever. And I'm just sitting there with uh, our mutual friends, uh, Wolf Boy and uh, Bunner. And, yeah, we're, we're kind of just there. You know, Wolf Boy popped his head. He's, you know, cooling down. And we're just talking. It's just, uh, you know, just Friday night. Have, enjoying the evening. I'm not, I'm still not used to people recognizing me. It, it's, a, it's a weird experience for me because... Here in San Antonio, at least, a lot, and to a lesser degree, Corpus Christi, a lot of people know me as I'm the furry 101 guy. Yeah. yeah. So people will actually walk, walk up to me and say, Oh, hey, aren't you the furry 101 guy? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I'm Eduardo Solis, furry 101, blah, blah, blah. But it, it, it still throws me when that happens. Mm-hmm. What I'm not used to, and this is what actually happened, is a random, I'm going to say teenager off the top of my head. Yeah, just a random kid walking up to me. As you know, I'm sitting with Wolf Boy and the, and my friends, you know, just walking up to me and saying, "Aren't you Eduardo Solis?" And it just threw me because now I'm trying. I'm trying to. I'm horrible at remembering names and faces. So I'm and so I'm trying to remember where have I seen this person before? You know, was it at a panel? Was it at a con or you know a fur meet or something? Or a party? Yeah. Or a party? Or, or yeah, where have I seen this person before? And I and she kind of caught that because I got the weird I, I don't know maybe I did the canine tilt your head thing because her confused thing but yeah I apparently looked confused and she's like you've never seen me before and I'm like okay that's a relief because I thought I was going crazy because I was trying to figure <laughs> out where I'd seen you before and she said I love your podcast I love Contact huh. I mean it just floored me I'm like oh well well thank you you know I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, right when yeah. you hung it up, like where was she before that? Yeah, I felt a li- I, I felt a little bad myself, but <laughs> yeah, I'm just teasing. But... And no, you, no, it's a yeah. good point, you know. And, and that's the thing, I, it to me, and maybe it's a, maybe it's because it's on YouTube or whatnot, but 
to me, I was getting the impression that it was a thank, it had become a thank, in my head, it had become a thankless job. Yeah. It was like, yeah, you know, I have my friends, I have a few people that run conventions that hear it and blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, the convention people, they kind of see it, you're kind of their unofficial quality control, their unpaid quality control. Something like that, but, yeah. you know, and like I said, I would get a little feedback here and there, but for the most part, yeah, it was, it was zero, it was nothing. You know, the, the number of, watches you know per episode was you know was always really low it's like in the you know my best one is probably like 70 or something like that and you know i don't know I, and it was it was I, I was letting it get to me which is funny because you know i'll sell maybe you know four or five ebooks a month and it won't bother me at all but i don't know maybe, like i said maybe it's just a youtube thing maybe I, I expected it to catch on or something or other but that lack of feedback and just the low number continually low numbers not getting any higher what was getting to me and it's like well why the hell am i doing this why am i wasting all this time when nobody's watching because I'm, I'm starting to notice this too with uh with this podcast is i'm i would have episodes that would be like high performing episodes mm -hmm. most people like i expect people to catch the show through their various pod catchers and i don't expect them to play it directly from the site I expect them to punch the RSS code into whatever their iTunes or whatever the hell it is and right. snag an episode through there. So I pay attention to downloads instead of plays. And I noticed it, you know, lately my regular episodes are now becoming just as good as the highest performing episodes. And I'm like, I'm seeing, you know, the, this steady growth. So I know people are listening and it's pretty good. You know, I would like more people to listen. Of course. But uh, as usual, but I haven't gotten any like negative or positive feedback. Like I'll get a couple of feedback. Well, well you have I, your Facebook page. Yeah, I guess the way that I register feedback is are people listening and am I getting new followers and stuff? Right. Per posts, usually I'll like make a new post and then I'll gain like maybe four or five followers. And usually, you know, it's stuff like, you know, other podcasts that, that tag me. And I guess that's just a, that's just, you know, a mutual supporting of the biz type of thing. Right. And when it's like individual people or dare I say teams, like paranormal teams ah, okay, and stuff like that, then that's like I take notes because I do take a look at some of the followers and stuff. And some of them are just, you know, regular Joes. It's like, okay, that's cool. I give them more credibility than I would paranormal, you know, Utah jazz team or whatever. Hmm. Or, you know, such and such, you know, show on such and such network or whatever it is. Right. Because there's a person behind the other ones rather than just, you know, maybe an algorithm or some shit. Hmm. But it's hackers. <laughs> as as far as this podcast has been going, yeah, you know, yeah, it's I'm seeing the growth. And when I reach out to other podcasts, you know, some of them have, have heard of me, and some of them are just people that I've interacted through on Facebook on other Facebook groups. Right, other and, weirdos. Yeah, other weirdos that I'm talking to, <laughs> and and that's it's nice to get that immediate knock and nod and nudge, and that you know that people are listening. Right. And my problem, I guess, with I always had a problem with the fate with YouTube because it's just, I don't know. We're presenting an audio thing on a video website. Uh, website. And I yeah, just, see, and I, and I get that. Yeah. The reason I do it that way is just for hosting reasons. Yeah. You know, it's free to host there. So, but I, I have seen like other podcasts that do stuff on YouTube. People listen to, or more people listen to, I should say. But, but yeah, like I said, I mean, and honestly, I mean, it's all in my head. Mm hmm. 
you know, for, for better, for worse. But, you know, the show is back on for what it's worth. But given my current work situation, I'm not going to be able to go to as many events as I would like. So, you know, I guess I'll go back to doing my other, you know, solo shows, which are the uh, 300 Seconds podcast and my uh, short story thing, which I need to get back on the ball with. Uh, super short story time. Yeah, you got to, yeah. like, post a couple of those on YouTube and link people back to the audio so that they can throw that in their podcast catchers. Hmm, interesting. Do you do that? Uh, I'm not sure what you said, what you just said, so I'm going to say no. <laughs> yeah, you know, cross-pollinate. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah cross-pollinate. Yeah, I guess so. You know, like, like put... You, Mr. Yeah. Professional Podcaster Guy, <laughs> tell me how to, about SEO and cross, cross thingies and, and thingies. Well, I, I... And the funny thing yeah. is, and the funny thing is, I'm the one who showed you how to use this equipment. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I taught him yeah. everything he knows, folks. And I'll, now the, stu- the student has surpassed eventually. the master. I'll pick it up eventually. I need to myself. I need to take a few of my episodes and put them on YouTube as well. You know, like I guess as samples to show people. What well, or maybe like out. a maybe compile some of your you yeah. know greatest hits. Yeah, stuff like know. that. You know, and because some people are doing that where they'll just post an entire episode on the podcast channel. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. You you know, put one full one. Yeah. You know, whatever your you know big finger quotes best one is, and then maybe some snippets of yeah, like other, other highlight of the little yeah, exactly a highlight reel or you know next time on conspire theory. You know. <laughs> yeah. But with my plan with the podcast right now is when I reach episode 50, then I'll start trying to branch out more as far as actually asking more from the listener. Because right now, I'm just posting stuff. This is a very one-sided thing. See, yeah, and, I, and, that, and that's where it gets frustrating. Yeah, that's and, what was frustrating me. Because I'm putting the stuff out there. You know, I'm asking for stories, and I'm asking for people to come to me with their stories. And usually... Mm-hmm. It's, I'll get people in conversation and stuff like that, you know, like, oh, I've had a spooky thing happen to me. And I'll say, oh, well, I'm doing this show. Come and talk to me. It's usually me going on the hunt for content. Right. When I hit 50, which means I'll be doing it. I would have been doing this podcast for a year. 50 episodes would probably be about a good year's worth if I'm doing it weekly. Then I'll do what all the big boys are doing, which is, you know, they have the Patreon and they'll ask for stuff. And well, it's it's interesting you mention that because I went to a panel during Furry Fest, so which talked about crowdfunding and mm-hmm. Patreon things of that nature. And I asked the guy. Um, it was a uh, Kyle Gold, the big uh, furry author, uh, that gave the panel. And you know, I, I raised the question of, you know, is a Patreon? It, don't you have to reach a certain point before you think about doing stuff like that? And he said, No, not really. And in fact, you want it to be there before you get big or hit critical mass, whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. That way, when it happens, because you're, ne- you're not going to know when it's going to happen. Like I said, you may blow up five episodes from now mm-hmm. or ten episodes from now. You don't know when that trigger is yeah. going to get pulled. So you want to have that stuff done ahead of time so that when your audience does start growing, it's ready. You know, you don't have to say, you know, oh no, my, oh, oh, oh my goodness, I'm popular now. Hold on, hold on. Let me get this thing set up. Yeah. You'll be ready with your, you know, your Patreon, your coffee, you know, KOFI, the, you know, give me three bucks, um, thing. Yeah. The, the tip jar. Exactly. The tip jar. Your tip jar will be ready when they come. And, and, and I, that, am, made, that made a lot yeah, of sense to me. I am in the next few, well, soon I'm going to set up a Patreon account as far as pushing it and asking for money, like on principle. The first year, I want to do everything out of my pocket on my own. 
as an exercise in discipline mm. to see that I can commit to doing the podcast. Well, also there's the, and I, I know we've said this, you know, multiple times, or you've said it multiple times, is uh, you want to suffer for your art. <laughs> Remember that? Whatever happened to suffering for your art? I think I've stopped saying that. <laughs> uh, okay, well, there you go. You sold out. Well, not yet. Sell out. After episode 50, then, yeah, I'll definitely sell out. Okay. But, but, but that's something to keep in mind. And like I said, I think the guy made a good point to, you know, even if you don't promote it or push it or whatever, you know, have it out there. Have it ready. Yeah, because there are a few shows that I want to promote, I mean, that I want to support. And they have Patreons. And, of course, I have to set up a Patreon to Patreon their Patreon. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I've seen this where some people where they'll like, oh, we support them and they support us in turn. And I'm thinking, wait, what does that do? That you're like, you're canceling out your your support. Like your dollar is canceling out their dollar that they're giving to you. That's, but I guess it's good. It's good optics. Well, it's, uh, yeah, exactly. It's a gesture. Yeah. It makes, you, it makes you feel good. It makes you look good. And I do need to set up a Patreon because some people do have some uh, tears in their Patreon that, that I am really interested in that I'm going to snag. There you I, go. That I want to get some, cause I want stuff. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with stuff. Man. Yeah. I love stuff. And some as, people as, are as long, offering as long stuff. as, as long as the stuff goes through, I mean, there you go. Yeah. Cause some people are offering grab bags and stuff like that. It's like, Oh, oh I okay. get that. And I'm pretty sure uh, by then I'll figure out some sort of, see, you just got to figure out how to work your audience. Yeah. I mean, what you do is you set up, you know, like at the $10 level, you know, I'm going to send you an envelope with an actual poltergeist inside. <laughs> Just throwing it out there, bro. Yeah, I could probably do that. <laughs> you know, moon dust. Oh, <laughs> uh, Bigfoot farts. I don't know. Yeah, that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, God, that's terrible. I try. Yeah. See, I go. See, I'm the more subtle bad humor. Let's talk about Coco, because I've been wanting to talk about that movie with you since we saw it like a week ago. Because I'm Mexican. Well, I'm Mexican too. Are you? Like half. half oh, Mexican. okay. Oh, my mom was Mexican. Mm. The, the. That qualifies. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious because yeah. so was, well, actually, my, my, uh, my, yeah, my mother was born in Mexico. My father, now he was born here, but he's first generation. We previously, we'd watched Book of Life and I loved that movie. It was pretty good. And Same here. Like you said, it's not afraid to be Mexican. And with this one, it was like, it felt even more Mexican. Oh, dude, a hilarious thing, you know, so, and I think you've met these friends. Uh, I know a couple of uh, furries from Mexico. Yeah, and so, you know, we'll chat every so often on on Facebook or whatnot, social media. And uh, they got Coco before we did. Hmm. Because in the United States, it released on Thanksgiving weekend. Hmm. In Mexico, they actually released it the weekend of Dia de los Muertos. Because <laughs> I, I believe last year it fell on a Sunday or a Monday. Mm-hmm. And so the previous Friday in Mexico, they dropped Coco. So they actually got to see it first. Hmm. So kind of, and it's funny, it's kind of the, it's kind of like a similar situation with Zootopia because they got that first too. Uh, and so we got, I got to see another them. Another reason to build that wall, Donald and, Trump. And so I got to see, I got to see them gush over Coco for like an entire <laughs> month before I actually got to see it. And I'm like, wait a minute, we made the damn movie. Don't we get to see it first? What the hell? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I like. Coco, because it's sort of like uh, it. It felt so familiar watching it because a lot of my family is a lot of my Hispanic family is based out of Brownsville. Okay, so of course, so I'm always going down there, and of course, speaking it up. You know, uh, I mm-hmm. guess that's the best way I could I could phrase that. 
and everything just because I don't know. Well, that, to use, well, to use the term again, I mean, it wasn't afraid to be Mexican. They didn't yeah. dial things back. I mean, you know, the kids lamenting at the start. You know, well, why couldn't my mom? You know, my mom make candy or make a. Uh, or make fireworks, or make underwear for you know sparkly underwear for wrestlers. <laughs> you know when you see the the luchador outfit hanging on the on the line, it's like that's Mexico. Yeah, and and the family, how the family was structured, that they all pretty much live together and stuff like that, and it's a big family. Well, and the interaction. Yeah, the best way I can describe it is uh, they they seem to cover a lot of the archetypes mm-hmm. because you know you have the o- overbearing mother. Yeah, you know, or grandmother in this case. You know, you know, you have that one. You have that one uh, aunt that's super serious. Mm-hmm. You know, those the one character, the taller Tia that was, you know, like kind of on the serious side. Yeah. You know, you have your, I mean, he'll come and give me a hug aunt, which was the other one. Mm-hmm. You know, you have the brothers. You have, you know, the short grandpa. Yeah. You know, like I said, these are, I don't want to, like I said, they're probably archetypes Yeah, and, you know, and, in that culture. And, of course, you've and, got the, the cousin Hector, the, the yeah. obnoxious one. And Pretty much, we we have one of those in our family. You, <laughs> yes, yeah, no, we got a cousin Hector. Yeah, and, and he's obnoxious, and that just it hit a vein with me. It it resonated with me, and yeah, because especially us here, and you know, even here in Texas, it's a thing. I yeah. mean, these are the types of people that are members of our family and friends and things of that nature. I mean, it totally. Yeah, the, the Shankla thing. I mean, we joke about it, but that's a real thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have tasted the leather more times than I'd like to admit. Yeah. And all of the, the cultural stuff about the De Los Mortos stuff. I mean, I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I don't think Nor my family ever did. And I don't think we ever participated in that. But being introduced into that, I found that definitely intriguing. Something really, really cool. And I'm like, I want to learn about it more. And in future episodes, when I learned about those little, uh, those little, what they look like, the glow stick pocket monster things that are flying around, mm. the totem spirits. Right. Yeah, I definitely want to learn more about that and maybe in the future do a show about that. And that was, you know, that that was cool. And and watching the the soaps with the, with the guy, with what the kid believes is his father or his, his ancestor. You know, oh yeah, watching the old doing movies. the watching the old the old soaps and stuff like that. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that we would see on television and stuff like that. And it's a very familiar thing. And the music and the the mariachis and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, we have the that stuff and the tourist stuff, you know, down here. But it's it's something to see it in the middle of the town square in this fictitious city. You know, what would be the small town that you would go and visit your family in uh, during the holidays and have celebrate New Year's or Christmas, and it's basically just fireworks, candy, and food, and tons and tons and of beer. food <laughs> and beer. Yeah. Well, I was never old enough at the time. I, same, same here. I always had to sit at the kitty kitty table. Though I'm pretty sure, you, though I'm pretty sure, like me, you probably had that one uncle or that tried to get you to drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, drink this. It's good. You like it? Yeah. Then it's like it's it's like something really really strong and powerful. Like ah, and it totally turns you off. And everybody just they're just laughing about it. But yeah, I mean the overall story of Coco was. It was really good. And yeah, you could see the twist coming a mile away, but it was still good. It well, was, it's the execution. Yeah, it's the execution. And yeah, and the other thing too was they, they didn't, they didn't go into that. Cause one of the kind of, I don't want to say downside. Oh yeah, I guess one of the downsides of the book of life 
was kind of the whole cultural reference thing as far as U.S. culture. Like, for example, turning the uh, American pop songs into Spanish songs, like when he sings Creep after the uh, the bullfight. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was... That that breaks the magic a little bit. Yeah, well, that was more like a musical. And this one, yeah, there was music in it, but it wasn't it wasn't a musical. Right. Yeah, and, and it sort of... It right, but it was Spanish music. Yeah. But, you know, it was mariachis and... Well, like during the, the music contest. Yeah, it I was mean, all like original content. Yeah. Yeah, with exception of the, the, the guy with the, you know, the, the EDM guy with the long hair, you know, pretty much everything was, you know, music that you typically typically hear, you know, around Mexicans and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, yeah, that's a good point, though. Is it, yeah, it had... It, it sounded genuine. Yeah, it sounded more authentic. I mean, and, and I get, you know, we're being clever and we're singing Creep as a Mexican song or a guitar song or, you know, acoustic guitar song, but at the same time, eh, I don't know. I get it, but at the same time, in Book of Life, it felt a little unnecessary. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And it felt I, kind of like they're trying to go in that Romeo and Juliet type of Well, uh, tomorrow, thing. yeah, or, or they're kind of trying to split the difference. They're trying yeah. to kind of suck in the American audience yeah, a, as well. Whereas Coco is like, you know, this is a straight up, you know, movie about Mexico. Yeah, yeah, we're going to mex it up. We're going to get Mexican of it here. There you go. <laughs> The, yeah, and that that was really good too because it's you know that's the kind of stuff that you would hear in that environment. Exactly, it made it more real, and uh, with all the cultural stuff, as far as the magic infused with with the traditions and how everything works, as far as the ceremony is concerned, you explored it by watching it happen, and they would explain it, but they didn't lecture you about it. It, it was hap- everything was happening organically. Everyone was talking about you know like oh I got to get off my shift so I can go see my family and visit my cousins and stuff. That was and what they would do about the people forgotten and stuff like that. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I got to admit, I choked up at the end when they put up the pictures and the and the grandmama, the the, the eldest grandma was like, yeah, Coco, yeah, it yeah, was, you, yeah. It's like she yeah, died. It, it choked me up so bad. I was gonna start crying, but I remember like, oh, I gotta, I can't cry because my friend Ed is here and he's gonna tease me about it. <laughs> I cried during Zootopia. What are you, what are you talking about? For God's sake. <laughs> Yeah, like, I'm one to give you crap about that. Uh, I, I, I didn't want to risk it. It took me, like, it wasn't until, like, maybe the fourth watching of that one that I finally got over it. And even <laughs> then, like, the second time I watched, yeah, the scene that, the part that really got me on Coco, because I, I expected the grandma to die. Yeah. I expected her to die. So when they show the picture being put up, I'm like, okay, yeah, that, we, we've checked that box, that happened. Yeah. You know, because it had to happen for, you know, her to meet her sad. Yeah, so I, I saw, I, I saw that coming. Yeah. But what got me was when uh, Miguel uh, plays the song for his grandma to make her remember. That's the part that got me. That gave me the feels. Yeah, that that got me too. And it was so good. It's definitely one to to get on the shelf. I put it like right up there with with Paddington too. I probably enjoyed it. Well, and I think the other thing too was the family. Yeah. You know, because the focus of the whole movie was that one family and, you know, Miguel's desire to do what he wants to do, even though it's forbidden. Yeah. And, but the fact that even though it seems like they're being massive jerks about it, his family only wants to do what's the be- what they think is the best thing for him in not letting him pursue music. Yeah. And so to, to me, that gave it a little, a lot more emotional, you know, depth than your, you know, your typical two guys fighting over the girl business that we had in Book of Life. Yeah. And another thing that I like was when he was on the other side, his family structure there, it continued. Mm-hmm. That they, he had all these different family archetypes and they were all familiar 
to him and they all pretty much they were in the same vein they were like doing the same thing because the matriarch great great grandmother great grandmother yeah she was sort of the matriarch and i don't know how your how your family structure is but in my family structure it's it's matriarch yeah pretty much the moms and the aunts they're in charge they're they're the boss the yeah. husbands and stuff, you know, they work for the mom. <laughs> work for the mob. No, they work for the mom. <laughs> and, and, your, your Freudian slip is showing. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just how the structure is. And when I saw that structure in there, it's like, yeah, that, that that's how it is in, A the, lot of the, in time, the household. Yeah. Dad might be the one working and, you know, bringing the money home. But at the end of the day, you know, you're going to do what mama says. Yeah, exactly. It was very familiar and it was very good. And even though, yeah, I could have guessed that, yeah, Coco was going to pass on. It still got me because you got that connection with that character. And when that's executed so well, you know, that's like, hey, kudos to that. Now, was that a Pixar movie or was yes. that? So, that, you know, they went through all the trouble. They did the research to make sure that everything was right. And I think that's why it works so well, because, you know, they went through the trouble to get, you know, authentic music and make sure everything looked the way it should be. And, you know, like even like the cemetery, you know, and, and all that. I mean, it looks like a, you know, Mexican town. I don't know if you've been to Mexico yourself. I have uh, in my youth visiting my grandmother. And yeah, I mean, that's they pretty much nailed it. Yeah, I think when I was five years old or something, I was in Mexico. Did you Did you also notice the, uh, did you notice the uh, Pizza Planet truck? Yeah, yeah, I saw it pass by. Yeah, in the, in the very beginning. I think I even tried to slow it down on my Blu-ray player. If I remember correctly, it looked like they had an extra A on the end. So it was Pizza Planeta, you know, <laughs> because we're in Mexico. Yeah, I got a... I thought that was hilarious. I guess we probably have to go through it again and search for the A113. That's the classroom that you go to. Oh, okay. Every single Pixar animator goes through, and they'll always hide A113 somewhere in that. It's usually a, interesting. It's usually like in a, in a classroom or a license plate. Right. Hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. So as far as Pixar is concerned, yeah, because I, I really do like what Disney is coming. I mean, Frozen, of course. Oh, boy. And and Moana. I love that one. I love it so much. I couldn't much. get into Moana's. I don't know. the. Yeah, it, it, it was okay. I don't know. To me, I think it was the songs. The songs weren't quite as yeah. quite as good. Like the, the Squid song, I just could not. It didn't do anything for me. Yeah, the I probably need to watch it again. Though. Yeah, with with Moana, it I guess they kind of got a bit of criticism because they took all the culture and they just mishmashed it all together. But it was pretty much a fairy tale, so yeah, I, pretty much they can kind of get away with that. With Coco, it was more localized. It was like a smaller story, but more localized, and and you could there was less for them to screw up. I could say that, and, and Moana was pretty much uh, Brown Thor calls <laughs> up an Uber driver. You know, the world's first Uber driver oh, takes Brown Thor to his destiny, and <laughs> you know, that's an interesting way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> go over this last issue, then we'll wrap it up. Is what do you expect for Incredibles two? Ooh, good one. Good one. I like that. Because I, I want to hear what you think before I go into my rant. Okay, well, have you seen the trailers? Yes, I've seen the full... Okay. I've seen the trailer. Seen the trailer. Okay, Um, I'm not sure because... Well, number one, I should start off by saying that I'm excited that it's being made. And this drives me bonkers about Disney because... And my apologies because I know it's your thing, but it's like we get frozen out the wazoo for like two years after the cotton picking movie comes out. <laughs> you know, And yet they do nothing with Incredibles... You know, they do nothing with Zootopia, you know, after the fact. Those are heavy hitters. Well, and the other thing, too, is, and this, and this is where it gets really frustrating, is that 
you know, they do such a, especially with Incredibles, they did such a wonderful job of setting up this superhero world. Mm-hmm. You know, where they could have, you know, they could have done like a, a TV show or something about the glory days yeah. of Mr. Incredible and all those other heroes that you only hear about in passing. You know, because the only ones we really see in action are, you know, Mr. Incredible, Frozone, and uh, Elastigirl. Yeah. That's it. You know, we hear about all these other guys, you know, Gazer Beam, uh, Splashdown, and all those. We hear about them in passing. You know, we see how all the, all the, the other guys got killed because of their capes or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, I wanted more. So yeah. the fact that they're doing another one is very exciting. I'm not, I'm really not sure what to expect. I mean, obviously we're, Fast forwarding a little bit to where they're back in business, I guess, or, you know, whatnot. And the kid, you know, they obviously didn't know the kid had powers at the end of the first one because, you know, they're up in the air by the airplane and you couldn't really, you know, they couldn't see what was going on. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I'm be interested to see what you find wrong, you know, with the whole business. So, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say. So, you know, g- give me, give me, give me, let's hear your rant and I'll let okay. you know. To me, it looks like a complete retread of the first plot where as far as what I could gather from the story setup, it takes place, you know, exactly right after the, the, after they fight the underminer or, or they start to fight the underminer. That's probably going to be the first five minutes of the movie is them fighting underminer. Okay. And then the rest is going to be the rest of the movie. And what it looks like to me from what I've gathered, because I've watched the trailer over and over and over again, psychoanalyzing everything because I just, because I'm nuts about this, is it looks like what happens is they go to fight the Underminer and this whole fighting as a family stuff, completely thrown out the window. Because they tell the kids, you know, stay and watch Jack Jack. Well, me and your mom go fight Underminer. Okay, let me stop you right there. Because, well, was the kid was the baby with them at the end? Yes, of the, movie? the baby was with them. They were they went to go see the son dash race. Oh, in that's the race, right. And he that's won right. second place. And there was a family outing. And then the unmarried comes okay, out. Okay, yeah, you know, you're right. And then they have all their masks on. They they tell the kids, you know, stay here. You know, even though we fought as a family and won five minutes ago. We're going to tell you to stay here and do nothing while me and your mom and Frozone fight. Well, to, to be fair, I mean, they don't know the kid has powers. No, they know he has powers. No, they don't. Yes, they do. No. How do they know? They know because he's, he's freaking, he, see, because if it, they if, see him have powers when he's fighting, uh, what is it, the S guy? Syndrome. Syndrome. Up in the air. Yeah. They didn't see that. They saw that. No, they didn't. See, that's, that's, that's what, I, that's where I'm getting at is that they don't know. Okay. See, if let's, ta- let's just for the sake of the I'm argument. assuming I'm assuming that they don't know because and even if you watch the end of the first one again, you know, at one point, you know, they're worried because they don't know what's going on because they see, you know, like real teeny tiny because they're way up in the air. Do you know they see something up in the air by the airplane? Something's happening, and that's where Mrs. Inc- or Elastigirl asks Mr. Incredible to throw them up there because they don't know what the hell's going on. They just know that you know the, the baby is gone with syndrome, so I don't think they know. So assuming you're right and it picks up right after, you know, as they're fighting the underminer, at that point I don't think they know. Okay. Well, so anyways, you're, you're wrong. So no, they so they they tell Okay, so let's Okay, so assuming they do know. So at the that two point, well, it doesn't uh, the point is the two the kids. Dash and Violet are told to babysit Jack Jack and stay out of the action. Right? And you know, the mom and dad they go and they they go they do their thing. 
All right, save the day. And then it looks like the rest of the movie is going to be, you know, them coping with life, of course. And then it seems like a, a Justin Hammer type, uh, which is a Marvel reference. A pseudo Tony Stark. Again, another Marvel reference. <laughs> okay, I know who Tony Stark is. Give me at least that much. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. You're the DC guy. I, I got to reach here. Yeah, but I've seen the movies. I saw Avengers. <laughs> okay, so you saw that one. I saw Guardians. Okay, so pseudo Tony Stark guy calls Elastigirl back into action. And basically, uh, Mr. Incredible, you know, to support his wife, stays home with the child. Which, as they're showing scenes with him interacting with the kid with superpowers, it's obvious that, okay, they know the kid has superpowers now. Yeah, and they're playing with it up. For, they're, they're playing it up for comedy. He's kind of doing the Mister Mom thing, yeah, 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 with you know an extra dash of comedy because of the you know the kids' superpowers. Yeah, yeah, and um, so where, so where's the problem? Well, the problem is is that it's just it's a wash and repeat of the first plot where the dad tries to regain his former glory by doing his superheroing and stuff. Except this time we're doing a role reversal where instead it's the mom doing exactly what the father was doing in the first movie. Yeah, but she, yeah, but uh, I, I just don't see it because she's really not interested in reliving the glory days. Her thing is she wanted permission. You know, she in the first movie she says, you know, nobody asked us to do this, to be superheroes. No, wait, that's Frozone. Uh, well, no, I think she says it too. I know Frozone definitely make kind of makes that point because uh, when they're in the car uh, listening to the scanner, you know, and he says, "You want permission to do this?" Like, yeah, I might like to have permission, you know, or how, or how about you know, let's just go bowling. So, yeah, I, I think I think she's doing it out of a sense of duty, you know. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe she, you know, she's going to get into it and you know, be like, "Oh my goodness, this is you know, like back in the day or whatever, whatever." Yeah, yeah, because I expect so. her to, to. It just it that's what it looks like from what we've seen. Uh, it looks like a retread of the first plot with the role reversal and the and the Jack Jack comedy with the Mr. Mom stuff. That's probably going to take a large bulk of the thing because you don't. I so far I haven't seen any new action of the kids doing anything unless it's in the home. And you know I just uh, Let, let's just cut to the yeah. point. You want the Fantastic Four exactly. You know, you, I, you want all of the whole family, you know, battling Dr. Doom or whatever, whatever. Ex yeah, exactly. I, and now given that this is, you know, just the, the first trailer and they, maybe they haven't shown us the rest of the movie. Well, the if they're smart, 20. they haven't shown us the rest yeah. of the movie. So maybe, yeah, maybe I, this is, this could be just the first 20. But from what I've seen, you know, I, from what you're guessing at. Yeah. From what I, from what I can gather. You're wrong. <laughs> from what I can gather. Wrong. It's, it's not selling me. See, if I was putting this on YouTube, I would put the picture of Luthor, you know, screaming, wrong! <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, because, I, I mean, yeah, I love the character of of the mom, Helen Parr. Yeah, because, of course, you know, MILF, obvious reasons. Quote, unquote, MILF. That got weird quickly. I know, I got the I got the little figurine on the fucking uh, Infinity On your figures. shelf, yeah. Yeah, I have her figurine on my shelf. Oh, you'll, you'll love this. Right next yeah. to Black Widow and... Uh, Star-Lord and, Star -Lord and Elsa, Elsa. You know, all, all these freaking figures. So. You'll, you'll, you'll love this. Uh, <laughs> side side joke. Uh, um, you know, Wreck-It Ralph 2 is also on the way. Yeah. Somebody made a comment, I think on Twitter, that they need to, there needs to be a scene in Wreck-It Ralph, because, you know, they hop onto the internet somehow. It says there needs to be a scene where they jump into Disney Infinity and it's just a wasteland. <laughs> you know, it's just uh, abandoned. Yeah. Single tear down cheek. There was... 
There was so much potential there. And they wasted it trying to sell it to the Minecraft crowd. Well, that's another show. <laughs> Which wasn't interested. Anyways, yeah, from what I've seen, yeah, I would love to see Helen Parr take front and center in this film. Yeah, I would love to see that. I can't wait to see that. But I'm afraid of that they're going to under... I mean, so far, it looks like they're going to just undersell the character, and she's just, you know, retreading previous territory. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Cause, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll, we will see. Because to me, to me, the conflict is going to kind of be the working mom thing. Yeah. Because she's going to be doing, she's going to be out doing the superhero thing. Dad's going to be at home with the, with the baby, you know, and eventually it's going to be like kind of that whole work life balancing or whatever, whatever. That's my wild guess, but I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're pessimistic. Exactly. In your old age. Yeah. I'm, I'm, you're 40 now. So, you know, you're, you're getting, you're hitting cranky old man, you know, uh, level. Thanks for reminding me. Dude, I'm 44. I don't want to hear it. (laughs) Why are you crying? But we'll see. We'll see. I, de- I definitely want to see Incredibles too. <laughs> yeah, you just reminded me of Wreck-It Ralph too, and I'm, I'm a kind of optimist. I, I saw the Emoji movie. Why? Well, it it was streaming for free. Okay. Or it was, I'll, I'll give you that one. It, it was streaming on on Netflix. I figured, eh, what the hell? I'll watch it as I'm on the treadmill. And okay, I'll I can I can see that it was okay. I mean, yeah. it was just that I can I can understand being. People being pissed off because it was just okay. No, no, no. You, you know the other reason why okay, some why? people are pissed off about it? What? Uh, did you hear about uh, Genity Tartakovsky's uh, Popeye film that he was working on? Yeah. They canned that to make the Emoji movie. Oh, okay. Have you seen the, the reel? Have you seen yeah, the, the, I've the seen short? The, the demo reel. Dude, it was freaking hilarious. It was awesome. It would have been <laughs> great. And they canceled that to make the Emoji movie. Mm. Well, at least we're getting Hotel Transylvania 3. Uh, that's kind of a consolation prize. Uh, I, I don't know. To me, and uh, I don't know if you follow my cage on Patreon at all, but they kind of did the same thing where they, they did the time jump thing. Because in my cage, the uh, I was on their Patreon for for a little while. The uh, They jumped to where they already had the kid. Hmm. Or they got married and they had a kid. Yeah, because I remember it ended on a cliffhanger where the girlfriend was pregnant. Right. Well, like I said, when they when they resume the strip, you know, they already had the the baby. I didn't even know they resumed the strip. Yeah, it's, it's on Patreon. Patreon. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. I'll, I'll have like to I, look that up. Yeah, and so I don't know. I, I to me, it's like it's and yeah. You don't want to say, make the same movie over and over again, but you know, let's let's. Uh, I don't know. I just I just like the part two to be closer to the part one. I don't know. I'm, I'm weird about these things, but I just don't like when you have like a big you know five ten year time jump. From movie to movie. Are you seeing that in reference to Hotel Transylvania 3? Yeah, Hotel Transylvania, because it's like, you know, they meet in the first movie, and they fall in love in the first movie, and then the second one, they're already married and they have a kid. Yeah. You know, what, what the hell happened in between? I, I don't know. Well, in the second movie, they were kind of adjusting to being newlyweds, and I think it was more about uh, Dracula and the grand, the grandpa and the grandson. I think that well, that's was, my thing. They already had a grandson. Yeah, it was, it was like, it was, the focus was on the kid. But I think they the the second one I liked you, it. You could have saved the kid for the third movie. It's all I'm saying. In this one, the third one, it, it looks it, like it, it's a me thing. I don't know. It's okay, yeah, thing. it's you. And in the second one, I will say this: I I liked it, but I felt like a lot of the focus was on you know Dracula trying to make sure that his kid's a vampire, and the focus I think should have been more on the kid exploring this world of monsters. Nah. And yeah, because the the part where because he's the like kid, a three year old kid. I well, mean, yeah, he wasn't a character. 
He was, he was uh, a baby. What do you yeah, want? Yeah, he was. He was like a trope or whatever. He wasn't a character. He's he a baby. How yeah, how yeah, much yeah, character well, are you going to give a baby? He didn't. They didn't talk. No, no. They actually did some character development with him later for like five seconds when it was when it was him and his uh, werewolf girlfriend sitting and talking. Mm. Then we had some character development. Then we had him talking to her and their relationship, and they they sort of like because I wanted to see more of that. Of of him and the uh, the girlfriend, you know, doing kid stuff, Win- you know, Win- playing make believe, you know, and and just you know being kids, being monsters in this in the because she's a monster, you know, born and bred, and he's not, but they're still friends, and that's what makes the relationship interesting, you know. Then they did the whole Count Dracula, Count not blah 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 blah, but the Mel Brooks grandpa, mm. his troop, I guess he turns on his troop. Instead of you know massacring the kid, I don't know. I I, I just uh, don't like. I just, I just felt like they needed. Some, it'll come out. We'll watch it, and then yeah. we'll, you'll bitch about it for whatever reason. Yeah, in a later episode. Well, any, anyways, I, I guess we'll just end that right here for now because, yeah, I think we've gone far too long about that. Yeah, this this is supposed to be a big, big finger quotes short episode. Well, yeah, that that's what I say to everyone. You've been warned, future guests. <laughs> Uh, okay. Cool, well, just, but, yeah, but, um, go ahead and let people know again where to find you, where to find your books. I am Eduardo Solis. So you can find my website, EduardoSolis.com. Uh, on Twitter, I'm Randomizer9 or, uh, E-D-S-O-L-I-Z writer. The book is Fuzzy Words, the Confluff Collection. You can find it, soon be able to find it on Amazon and other ebook stores. So check it out there. And I think that'll do it. Yeah. And thank you for tuning in and good night. Bye bye. To email the show, write to conspire a theory, all one word, conspire a theory at outlook.com. Music provided by Killer. Find her at soundcloud.com backslash Kira Kura. If you want to find me around the internet and maybe commission me for some artwork, a few good places to find me would be at DeviantArt. You can find me there at chrisholm.deviantart.com. That's Chris, C H R I S. H-O-L-M dot deviantart dot com. I can also be found on Tumblr at psychris dot tumblr dot com. That's P-S-Y dash C-H-R-I-S dot Tumblr T-U-M-B-L-R dot com. I can also be found on Fur Affinity. You can find me on furaffinity dot net slash user slash psychris P-S-Y C-H-R-I-S backslash. If you'd like to connect with me on Facebook, I'm available at Facebook backslash Chris Home Comics. You can also find me on Twitter at Psycho Chris. Be sure to find me, check out some of my art, and if you'd like, tell me some of your stories.